Hello folks, hope you're all okay, and uh, welcome to my first ever podcast. So before I start to tell this local and quite harrowing story, uh, let me just uh, kind of explain to you how this has come about. Uh, So for those that don't know, um, some of my lovely viewers seem to think, uh, or seem to like, the narration that I put into my videos uh, and then I've mentioned to me that they'd like to hear me tell some kind of you know spooky tales or ghost stories that kind of thing so here we kind of are in the back catalogue of way back when when I started making videos you'll see a video there that uh, that will there's told parts of this story uh, it's titled the witch hunt tale and if you'd like to watch it uh, I made it during the first lockdown here in the UK as we couldn't go very far so I thought I'd uh, spend the time um, doing some local research into local folklore and the possibility of finding some very local ghost haunts so I can go out and film them, keep up the channel kind of thing as it only, as it only just recently kind of started. So in the video I did tell parts of the story but I didn't tell the story in its entirety. Um, so here it is um, I hope you like it and uh, don't forget to leave any kind of comment uh, about it and if you'd like me to do another one then um, please uh, please let me know ladies and gentlemen I'm Mark and you are listening to Dead Cold Tales episode 1 the witch hunt of Tring The Witchcraft Act of 1735 was passed by Parliament in Great Britain in an attempt to put an end to the hysteria of witch trials and killings that had plagued the country for centuries. Under the new act, formally accusing someone of witchcraft was now a crime, but this wouldn't immediately change the minds of those who truly believed witches could use magic to harm others. The year is 1745. Ruth and John Osborne were an elderly couple with no money or place to live. The two were placed in a workhouse in the small town of Tring, located in Hertfordshire, England. And with little work available, the two resorted to wandering around begging for food and money. One morning, Ruth came upon the farm of John Butterfield and seeing several full pails of milk she asked the farmer for some to take. Butterfield refused and according to various accounts Ruth did not take his rejection well. Though there was no physical altercation Butterfield later said Ruth implied his animals would pay for his selfishness. Over the next six years, the animals on Butterfield's farm periodically become sick and die in unnatural quantities. Butterfield himself fell sick and started experiencing random seizures. Naturally, he confided in his friends and neighbours asking for advice. They quickly suspected a curse had been placed on him. Believing this to be the case, Butterfield remembered his altercation with Ruth Osborne from six years earlier 
and suspected her to be the cause. At the behest of the community, Butterfield met with a white witch, and after learning of Ruth, she too believed Ruth was the culprit, but first they had to clean him of her curse. Following the cleansing instructions from the White Witch of Northamptonshire, Butterfield rid himself of the curse by using charms that he, unsurprisingly, had had to pay for. He also purchased six charms for six men to guard his farm whilst he cleansed it. Though he believed he had rid himself of Ruth's curse, it was not enough for him. The Witch of Tring had to pay. On April 18th, 1751, Tring's town crier stood at the public square and announced that in just a few short days, Ruth and John Osborne would be put on trial for witchcraft. Meanwhile, in the nearby towns of Hemel, Hempstead, Leighton Buzzard and Winslow, the town criers made the same announcements. The method chosen for their trial was known as ducking. A test where the accused's hands and feet were tied and then they were thrown into a body of water. If the accused was able to rise to the top despite being bound, they were thought to have been saved by the devil and were confirmed to be a witch. If the accused sank and drowned, they were innocent and died. On April 22nd, 1751, a crowd consisting of over 4,000 from multiple surrounding towns and villages entered Tring to watch the trial. A small mob marched onto the workhouse, demanding Ruth and John Osborne come out. Instead, the master of the workhouse, Jonathan Tompkins, announced Ruth and John were missing and hadn't been seen in days. In reality, Tompkins knew Ruth and John were innocent, referring to them as honest people, and having heard the pending trial, he secretly brought them to the local church for sanctuary. The mob grew restless and demanded that they be let in to search. Tompkins denied their request, but it was for naught as the mob broke in seeking justice. Believing the two were in league with the devil, allowing them to shapeshift into small animals, the mob smashed open the salt boxes looking for any sign of the Osbournes. When they emerged empty-handed, several of the mob grabbed hay and created torches, threatening Tompkins of burning down his workhouse if he didn't reveal the whereabouts of the witches. The mob grew restless as Tompkins debated with them and soon several threatened to burn down not just the workhouse but the entire town of Tring. Others threatened to lock Tompkins in the workhouse as it burned. Jonathan Tompkins had no choice and revealed the Osbournes were in the church hoping the mob would respect the hallowed grounds. But the mob rushed down to the church and recklessly broke down the door. Like Tompkins said, Ruth and John Osborne were indeed hiding in the church. Several of the mob grabbed the two and dragged them out to face the trial.
Suspected witch and wizard were stripped of their clothes, their left thumbs tied to their right foot and their right thumbs tied to their left foot as a rope was tied around their waist. They were then dragged for two miles until reaching Marlsden Mere Pond. All the while they were beaten and spat on by the mob. But the pond itself wasn't that deep and it was full of mud making it difficult for the mob to conduct their trial. They decided it was best to drag each of the Osborns into the water, push them down to the bottom and hold them there with a long stick. A local chimney sweep, Thomas Colley, took charge and placing a sheet around Ruth forced her underwater. Using a stick he continuously turned her over as she fought for air. After a few minutes the mob pulled her out and tossed John Osborne in to face the same torture. Minutes later he was pulled out and beaten as the tired Ruth was thrown back in again. By the end of the second round Ruth's sheet had ripped off and the third time Collie threw her into the pond she was naked. Ruth still fought for air but the deranged Collie pushed the stick down onto her head to keep her under the water. Ruth was able to push it aside in a struggle for air but Collie simply jammed the stick into her chest and forced her down once again. After several minutes she was pulled out. The beaten and bruised body of Ruth Osborne lay in front of the mob and at the age of 71 Ruth Osborne was dead. There are varying accounts as to what happened to John Osborne. Some say he was tied to Ruth's dead body and ducked once more, surviving the ordeal. Other accounts say he simply died from his injuries moments later or even days later. Either way, with the death of Ruth Osborne, the mob had gotten their justice and Thomas Colley went around the crowd collecting money for his service. Word spread quickly through the towns and villages of what occurred at Marsden Mere and the death of the witch. Since this was an illegal act, an inquest was conducted into the events. Many of those questioned refused to say that they were at the ducking of Ruth Osborne, but eventually Thomas Colley's name came up and the officers learned he had collected money from those in attendance. At the end of the investigation, Thomas Colley and several others, some accounts say up to about 30 other individuals, were arrested and charged with murder. On the 30th of July, 1751, Thomas Colley was put on trial, where he testified that he was just passing by, and when he saw what the mob was doing, he merely tried to help Ruth and John Osborne. But the coroner testified the only marking on Ruth's body, besides bruising, was a small tear in the skin of her chest caused by a small object like a stick and concluded she had died of drowning. This along with the testimony of others confirming Thomas was the only person holding Ruth down with a stick led to a guilty verdict. Thomas Colley was sentenced to death by hanging for the cruel and inhumane murder of Ruth Osborne. The death sentence was to be carried out in mid-August of 1751, but it had to be moved to a week later as people protested against his execution. 
Many believed Cully had done the right thing in killing a witch, and believed his death sentence was the true crime. Fearing the protest would grow into a mob, the authorities waited for soldiers to arrive. On August 24th, 1751, Cully, surrounded by 108 soldiers and seven officers, made their way to Tring. From there they moved to the place of execution at Gobblecote Cross in Luke's Lane, near where Colley had murdered Ruth Osborne. Before he was hanged, Colley read out his confession to the crowd of thousands. He took responsibility for the murder, and proclaimed he didn't even believe in witchcraft. Thomas Colley was then hanged, dying moments later. As part of his punishment, his body was hung with chains on the gallows for years until his skeleton remained. This was a warning to other witch hunters. Unsurprisingly, leaving a hanging body along a winding road until there's nothing left but a skeleton is liable to create some ghost stories. It's not clear when the sighting of Thomas Colley's ghost started appearing, but written records go back as far as 1878. In the book, More Glimpses of the World Unseen, by Frederick George Lee, Lee writes about several eyewitnesses having seen a spectral animal near where Thomas Colley was hanged. Many believe this to be the ghost of Colley returned as the black dog, dragging the same chains he was hung with on the gallows. In 1911, a schoolmaster and a driver were passing by the site of the gallows, when they both witnessed a large flame appear near the road. Suddenly, in front of them, was a large black dog. The account reads, I then saw an immense black dog in front of our horse. He was as big as a Newfoundland, but very gaunt, shaggy, with long ears and a tail, eyes like balls of fire, and large long teeth, for he seemed to grin at us. In a few minutes the dog disappeared, seeming to vanish, or to sink into the earth, and we then drove over the spot where he lay. I couldn't find any other details or accounts around the Black Dog of Tring, also known as the Lean Dog of Tring. But large black dogs or shucks are often mentioned in folklore around murders. However, I do wonder in regards to one particular theory that if a person dies a violent death, then they can leave an imprint, and maybe this imprint wasn't actually from Thomas Colley. Who's to say the Black Shook isn't an angry projection from Ruth Osborne, making sure no one comes to the hanging site of her murderer to pray for him? Or is it Thomas Colley's spirit, forced to wander Tring as a black dog for the rest of time as punishment for the murder of Ruth. Who knows, but it makes for a very good story. Well, I uh, hope you enjoy that, folks. Um, I enjoyed that as well. It was fantastic to get this one. Uh, it's a very local tale to me, a very harrowing one quite upsetting to say the least to be honest I was getting goosebumps uh, reading that out at some points <laughs> uh, desperate times though and uh, the hysteria was enormous 
uh, to do with witchcraft and people were getting blamed for nothing and put to death for next to no reason at all. It uh, didn't take much at all for, for that whole trial situation to start happening. Uh, they, they were, they were, everyone was alone to themselves. Yeah, so just uh, leave a comment down below if you like this one. If you'd like to hear me do another one, then please let me know as well. And um, yeah, thanks very much. Until the next one. The narration of this tale is by me, Mark Bonner, and the story, The Murder of Ruth Osborne, was taken from the Factology website and written by Hector Navarro. Some of the music is by Scott Buckley. All their links will be in the description section below.